As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you heartily for joining us as podcasts proliferate all over the internet. The fact that you're hearing these words, if you're hearing these words, suggests that uh, we are among your podcasts of choice. Uh, so thank you. With me in the studio today, it's the excellent Julian Lawrence, who is wearing a uh, Dolce & Gabbana hoodie, just pointing it out, whereas <laughs> my hoodie is from Carhartt, we're also joined down the line from the chief sports writer of the Times. It's a pleasure to have Matt Dickinson. Uh, Dicko, are, are you wearing a hoodie? I am wearing a hoodie. Super dry. I, was, I shouldn't mention my sponsors, but I it's am cool. wearing a super dry hoodie. It's one. cool. It's cool. Dicko is cool. You guys are kind of slaves to fashion. Are you, I am very proud of my Carhartt thing, just, just so you know. People can't see it. It's well washed out, and it's, it's a good 20-year-old, surely. And this is a work hoodie. <laughs> I use it when I'm logging. Anyway, later on, uh, the Northern Football Correspondent for The Times, Paul Joyce, a.k.a. Joycey, uh, joins us to discuss Everton's descent into the relegation zone, and maybe a thing or two on the Arsenal as well. And finally, the moment you've all been waiting for. Yes, Matthew Syed will be with us to discuss a very bad week for the FA and, of course, the Any Aluko inquiry. But first, let's start at the home of the FA. Some might say the home of football, Wembley Stadium. Dicko, I was going to start by asking you about the Wembley hoodoo, but clearly there's no such thing and it's all just in people's heads. Um, I, I want to start from the end, though. This extraordinary thing, when a player gets subbed off as early as Dejan Lovren is, I mean, horrendous individual mistakes, not just from him. Was this club sending some kind of message? I mean, have you seen this? Have you seen this before? Uh, well, I've seen it before. Famously, Mourinho. I think uh, it was at Craven Cottage. He, um, they were. I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure at Chelsea, playing at Fulham, and they were they were just having a shocker, sort of looking slow and sloppy. And if memory doesn't fail me, he came out after about 20 minutes, started shouting at. I think it was Joe Cole and Wright Phillips, and then sort of half an hour into a game um, took uh, one or both off at the same time um, in a real yeah, sort of state- yeah, but- statement and I've seen I've seen uh, John Beck the one of the great managers of all time um, oh, come out and shout at shout at Steve Claridge uh, early on in the game and um, remove him even though he was playing well for not following orders but I've not I'm not sure any of us have seen one quite that felt quite as brutal as this. Just at, because, you know, it's, it's mid-humiliation and you're almost piling individual embarrassment on top of sort of collective humiliation for, for Lovren. And it was, at the same time, you know, something had to be done, didn't it? 
there's no I mean, there's no two ways about it. I I what struck me what strikes me here though is that you know when Mourinho did it he had an enormous squad and you know with all due respect to Joe Cole and Sean Wright Phillips or whoever it was good players but he had equally good players on the bench. If you're if you're Klopp, if you do this, you have to be a hundred percent sure that you don't lose Lovren psychologically. Because while he's not been particularly good, the reality is there's nobody else. Unless you want to go with a Clavan Matip partnership backed up by Emre Sean and Joe Gomez. I mean it was an extra I thought it was a extraordinary. Yeah, you're, you're, you're sort of digging a hole for the player, and I guess you're uh, at the same. You know, you you know, you know you're going to have a uh, shall we say psych- psychological uh, job to be done um, in the coming in the coming days. That's for sure. But I guess uh, the, in the moment, Klopp's just thinking, right? I need to do something here. I need to you know make a, both a tactical statement and just a, a, a sort of blast to my team that you know, wow, we need to stop something here. We need to change something drastically. And you, you, you act in that moment and you worry about, you know, piecing Lovren's already shattered confidence together afterwards. Um, a job I'm sure he's had to begin on the long, the long journey home and uh, over the next few days. But then, you know, the fact is we know he's going to have to rebuild the whole team's psychological confidence in terms of the back line, get back to some very, very simple, basic drilling organization, look at look at the structure because as everyone has as as has noted, this is this was not a one off. It was it was the worst, but it wasn't just a sort of freak. Now Jurgen Klopp is one of my top ten favorite Germans in, in history. Um so maybe I'm going a little too far in giving him the benefit of that. It's it's not a very long list, okay. Julian, in case you were concerned no, no, about no, no, me. No, no. I'm going to throw out this narrative, Dicko, and you tell me if this is accurate, right? Because we, we've all been told that in the summer, they thought that it's Virgil van Dijk or nobody else at the back because there's no other good central defenders in the world who they could who they could possibly get, and Klopp was fine with that. Julian, what do you believe? And further to that, if van Dijk had come, would he have shipped Klavan back to the Baltic Republics <laughs> because he thinks he only needs three center backs? No, I, I, mean, I don't know. The fact that Clavan is the only centre-half he bought, isn't he, since joining the club, which I find it quite remarkable. Because the ones who were already there were you know so what? good. He, he said yesterday after the game, oh, we need to work on this. Yeah, thank you. And then we don't have enough time because we're playing the Champions League. But next week, this week, because they're not in the, in the League Cup, they'll have a bit more time. A week is not going to make much, much difference. And I still think that you could work on your shape defensively because, like you said, it's, it's not too rocket science to just make sure that you line up in the right way i.e. in a straight line you know to put to put players offside not not like Harry Kane's first goal yesterday where they're all a bit over the place I, th- I think he should change everything put Joe Gomez at centre half with Matip and put put TAA right back yeah with Moreno at left back exactly with the mysterious Mr. Something. Robertson. No, but my problem is you have to do something. You can't keep the same players and every time you get bashed and every time you say, oh, I know, we're better defenders than that. We need to work on this. And the following game, you put the same again and guess what? They make the same mistakes and you get slaughtered again and you say, oh, yeah, f- sorry. We're going to work on it. We're going be- to get better. I can write a book in two hours on defending. You know, it's my stuff. I'm good at it. Okay, and next game, you put the same again and guess what? They make the same mistakes. Change something. Maybe maybe in the reserves. Maybe with the kids you've got a, a very, very good centre-half. Bring him in. 
What do you have to lose? If you put the if you put Lovren and Matip, you get battered and they're rubbish. Push someone else. Try something at least. My issue with Klopp is not trying anything. He puts the same and they make the same mistake. And I the think, game after, he plays them again. I, and I, the game after, he plays them again. On that point, what I've been told is that Liverpool's defensive movements under Klopp to be able to sustain the press, even though they press less than they used to, uh, are so complicated that it's really difficult to just drop somebody in there. Which then kind of makes you wonder, well, how were you going to drop Virgil van Dijk in there? But anyway, we need to show Spurs some love, not just because they uh, they won it uh, at Wembley. No Dyer, no Wanyama, no Dembele. Um, no Lamela? No Lamela. No, I, love, I, need to I, know, I know you love it. No, okay, but, but in midfield, I mean, that to me is, is a major statement. Hey, imagine if you had your three effectively first choice central midfielders all out at the same time. Imagine how much other managers would cry about it. Mm. Not Mourinho, of course, course, because he does have his three center midfielders out, and he's not crying about it. In fact, he's barely mentioned it. Um, (laughs) Harry Kane. Now, Dicko, I want to get you on this, because I've long struggled to find an analog for for, for Harry Kane, and I think because most of the hard drive in my mind has been uh, uh, destroyed, and I've forgotten so many things. But but Cherry Henry, who's clearly fresher than I am... um, I thought he came up with a really nice analogy in in the post game on, on on Sky when he he compared he compared Harry Kane to to David Trezeguet and and I thought about it and yes I can see the differences Trezeguet um, probably little a little more athletic when he wanted to be um, Kane probably a little more work rate Trezeguet may be slightly more technical but I thought. This is pretty good. Am, am, am I wrong here? Uh, as you say, I did Trezeguet strikes a little sort of, yeah, a little more mobile. Um, in my mind, a bit, I mean, Julien will be able to correct me, but... Um, Julien was about four, five four, when Trezeguet was in his plenty of goals and some, no. obviously some huge, huge goals, Euro champs, wasn't it? But um, we don't need to I don't know, about quite, quite not, it's quite as ruthless as... Kane is now. I'd not in my, not in my mind, but um, yeah, your yeah. mind is wrong. I can speak for Trezeguet about his time at Juventus, where he he played alongside alongside Ibrahimovic for Christ's sake. He played against all these guys who who were kind of the main man. I mean, he was physically the main man, but he played alongside very prolific goal scorers. And I think the he, lovely thing I like he I scored like. an incredible amount of goals without taking free kicks and and penalties. I think he took like two in his whole time there. The lovely thing I like about Kane is the way he, I mean, he's, because, I, I, you know, obviously one analogy with it, with, with English strikers, and it's, and, and it's wrong in many ways, is, is we all think of Shearer as this sort of classic, classic number nine. There was that time when Shearer, particularly at Blackburn, would just get the ball, and every time you just thought, oh, my, he's just going to, he just put his foot through it, and most of his shots seem to be these sort of low, really hard-struck shots. Kane's got this wonderful ability off both feet to just, hit the ball pretty softly in, you know, just to sort of, he just gets a bit of curl on it. It's, you know, he doesn't ever seem to sort of feel the need to, you know, head down blast. He's not a sort of Roy, you know, hot shot Hamish, Roy the Rovers type like that. He just sort of picks his spot and it's a, it's a real clever knack to almost still himself to just think, look, if I hit, if I hit this sweetly enough with a bit of curl and accurately enough, it doesn't need to be smacked. And I, I, in that sense, I, I actually struggle to think of certainly an English striker who, just seem to have that ability just to sort of pause fractionally, pick a spot and and hit it with sort of due care rather than sort of looking to spank it. 
Did Julian? I'm not. I'm not on the Trezeguet cane. Sorry. You're, crit- you're going to contradict Thierry yeah, Henry. He won yeah. the World Cup. I know, but his suit was horrendous on Sunday. By the way, <laughs> um, it's not. Trezeguet couldn't run. I mean, Kane is faster than Trezeguet on the ball. Trezeguet would have, would have never given the assist to Son like Kane did on the second goal. He was not. A work rate wasn't Trezeguet's thing, but no, he was but in the Trezeguet, right place at the right time. I give him that. In the box. Always in the box. That's why he did. Kane is a far better, more complete striker than Trezeguet was. 100%. Kane can yeah. do things that Trezeguet couldn't do at all. And, and Trezeguet and could is, do things that Kane couldn't do. Yeah, maybe. Exactly. That's why they, you can't compare them. That's why I'm not, I'm not with Thierry on this one. Thierry, if uh, you want to write to reply to Julien, please join us uh, next week. Since just, I know. just sort out your suits, mate. Please. Hi, just an advisory here. Uh, we taped the game podcast on Monday morning before Ronald Koeman, or Ronald Koeman, as you might call him, was uh, sacked and relieved of duty as manager of Everton. The second half of the eagerly awaited massive North London versus Merseyside uh, clash, which is not as uh, uh, as big as the Manchester versus Merseyside clash that uh, traditionally everybody talked about last year, was uh, Everton hosting Arsenal. And we're joined now by, by Paul Joyce as well. It's, it's a menage a quatre, you might say. Um, <laughs> Joycey. Uh, Hi. Hiya. Everton looked good for a very short while and then they got back into the game and then the bottom fell out, right? Well, I think even before they they scored, I mean, there were there were holes throughout the team, and and Arsenal were just sort of passing through them at will. And if it wasn't for for Jordan Pickford's early saves from from Ramsey and and Lacazette, I think the the atmosphere could have been poisonous. You know, within ten minutes of the kickoff, once again, they were a shambles. Really, after that, um, I want to I want to ask you about that because. I know it's a big cliche, starts from being solid at the back, and I I think Michael Keane's a phenomenal um, footballer. Uh, He's struggling badly. And Ashley him. Williams. But yeah, but the two of them were absolutely terrible. And and I was wondering is, were they freaked out by the fact that, yeah. that, that, that you know, Gay seemed a little bit out of control? But then again, I'm not going to excuse the sending off, but he's, he's on his own in there. Yeah. Well, he's he's the one defensive midfielder. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because some of the gripes that have been against um, Koeman from the Everton fans is this insistence on playing two central midfielders in a in a four two three one effectively. Yesterday you saw why they need Snidlin and Gay together. Snidlin was obviously injured yesterday because they were just completely overrun. It, it was Gay on it on his own. Um, because Vlasic doesn't isn't that type of player to to to, to play as an anchor. Rooney Sigurdsson weren't getting back. Could easily have been sort of double figures for Arsenal. And that that's not exaggerating the situation. They just attacked at will. And it I think it does transmit itself to to Akeen, who just looks harassed and fearful and he's not sensing any danger. I mean for Ozil to score with a header in between Keane and Jagielka inside the six-yard boxes is just fundamental. Says everything about Everton's problems, and I don't see really a way out of it, to be honest. And I'm not sure that changing the manager will even 
elicit an improvement because without a striker on the pitch who's going to score goals and without pace in the team, I just think they're easy easy meet at the moment for all teams. I think the recruitment in the summer has proven to be totally flawed. Okay, sorry, let's let let's hit that because I think a lot of times people people kind of get a pass on this. I mean, I think everybody and their mother agrees Sigurdsson was a terrible buy. On paper, Pickford and Keane, these guys look good. But am I right in thinking the guy who does the recruitment for Everton is the guy who people were all praising to high heaven because his name is Steve Walsh and he played at and sorry and he worked at uh, at Leicester and he brought in Mares. And then, of course, the following season, he bought in a whole bunch of terrible players. But that's yeah. a whole other issue. Is is this guy the problem? Is it his fault? Because this is one thing that always struck me about England. People like him don't ever face the media, right? He, he doesn't give a press conference. Nobody asks him, did you sign Sigurdsson? Did you really think Sigurdsson was, gonna, was, was the answer here? These people don't answer questions. It's all stuck on the manager, right? When you ask those nasty yeah. questions, you ask them to Koeman. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I don't think Steve Walsh is blameless. I mean, I, you know, from my understanding, I don't think the, the relationship between... Steve Walsh and Cumin is is the strongest. So if there's a disconnect in any way in that relationship, then there's going to be problems that come from that. I think Everton's strength over the years was the transfers. You know, you think back to Arteta, Cahill, Jagielka, Baines. Yeah, that's over the years when there were different people making yeah, the decisions and, and, and different the, people now in the, charge. Now the new money has come in and it's just been spent, you know, without clarity and without thought. I mean, they've signed Rooney, Sigurdsson and, and Klassen, all sort of number 10s. Vlasic is sort of similar in that role. And they were never all going to play in the same team. But the biggest problem that they've had is the failure to replace Lukaku. Dicko, I want to I wanna chuck this to, to you because our... I mean... A lot of people really like Koeman. Allison likes Koeman. Henry Winter said that he thought that Ronald Koeman was going to be back at Barcelona managing one day. Um, is this the wrong man in the wrong place? If, if, if Farhad Moshiri were to, to ring you up and said, like, Dicko, which one should I sack? Or should I sack all of them? Or should I keep all of them? What would you tell him? Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I think Koeman has shown enough that, the you know, the idea that, that you know, he's hopeless doesn't hold water does it it's a question of whether he can change momentum how quickly he can change momentum i don't think they're going to they're not going to go down some of my family are everton season ticket holders and would scream at me for saying it because they're they're desperate for change i think kuma needs to show that you know there is a plan emerging for how you get out of this hole and with that issue of of lacking a striker and with that issue of sigurdsson you know who is a a, a very good footballer in my view but clearly yesterday was just looked like he just you know um, didn't understand his role couldn't have any influence looked slow looked caught out in, in every part of his game and you Kuma needs to you know very quickly prove that you know okay you know we're, we're in a mess but here is a plan that's getting us out of this mess and, and everyone looked at the team sheet yesterday when it first came out and went, oh my, you know, how, how does this fit together? I think Kuman, I think just sacking him, you know, where, where's the instant upgrade? Okay, you bring in a manager, he sort of cheers the place up. You know, are you going to get a better manager than Ronald Kuman at this time of the season? Not necessarily. We just get if, somebody to sit there through the end of the season, possibly. I don't know. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get Julian on this because, I, Julian, you've got, I think you might have different views. What I'm struck by <laughs> Kuman is 
People love him, and he's a great guy. He's had spectacular successes over the years. He's also had absolutely turgid, massive failures uh, in more than one place. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy who almost brought Valencia down with David Villa, uh, David Silva, <laughs> and Juan Mata in the team. Listen, I'm not an, I'm not an Everton fan, but even me, he drives me mad. He has no clue. He has no idea what to do. And 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 in the paper this morning. Joyce reminds everybody that because he keeps changing everything at halftime because he's got no idea. He's clueless. He's an absolute clueless manager. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know why his best starting 11 is. Keep missing the point in his starting 11, in his substitutions. And you know what? Okay, the, 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 the recruitment was wrong. But that's for... Some of it was wrong. Yeah, for the style of football he wants to play. Since when the manager can adapt to the squad he has... Oh, okay, you've got, you've got number 10. Wait, no, wait, no, no, wait, no, wait, no, 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 Find a way to play Sigurdsson and Rooney together. Find a way. Why do you have to play on the counter-attack all the time? You don't have the players for that. Just change your style. Do something else. Work, work on something different at training to make sure that you can maybe play even Klaas and Rooney and Sigurdsson together or at least Sigurdsson and Rooney together. Calvin Lewin is your striker because you've got no one else. Sandro. Or Sandro. Yeah, but one of them. Make sure that when they play you use them to their best abilities, that you give them the service where they're good at, not long balls where Calvert-Lewin has to chase everything down every corner of the pitch because that's, that's where the ball goes. That, it doesn't work like that. And you want pace. You've got Lukman, who's never played, hardly played. Jo- Joycey, can you respond to Julian? Because I think he makes some good points. But he Sorry, can only... Joycey, but he drives me he... mad. He drives <laughs> me mad, the guy. He can only play 11 guys at a time, right? If, the, if there's some sympathy for, for Koeman, it, it it's the... Coleman would make a big difference in the team. Balassi would make a big difference in the team. James McCarthy would make a big difference in the team in bringing aggression to midfield, and he's on the cusp of, of, of coming back. But other than that, you know, Coombe has got himself to blame for, for a, lot of, a lot of the, the problems. He, he, does, he does rip up, I think it's five, five times in, in nine Premier League games he's, he's made or been forced to make changes at half time or, or just after half time and sometimes that's been double substitutions you know the players are performing badly but the plan that he sent them out with seems flawed as well um, and they have had a very difficult start to the season Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Man United, Arsenal that is a very difficult start but Farad Mashiri said last January that Everton have one window to establish themselves now they've blown that because what they're going to look for a striker in January that can fill the boots of Lukaku. Now, what striker of any regard is going to look at Everton in the bottom three and say, yes, I'll go there? One chance in the summer, according to Mashiri, to establish themselves. The recruitment had to be spot on. They've blown that opportunity. I think that's part of the, the difficulty in changing the manager now because I don't think you get a, the managerial bounce with this squad. Yeah. I think you get a thud because the lack of the goal scorer just kills everything. Um, I want to touch upon Arsenal quickly, because, uh, and we do have to do it quickly, because, because we're so anti-Arsenal here, we don't like to spend too much time on them when they actually win and play well. Very simple question, Julian. Lacazette, Ozo, Sanchez, they all look great. Is it just because they're playing a bad team? And then they'll revert to form when... No, maybe. Or is this the start of something big? No, I think it could it could be the start of something big. It's such just a shame that they had to wait October the twenty second to play 
the three of them together, which shouldn't you know it shouldn't happen. And obviously, there's reasons well, why. Was injured and Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, and the, the whole uh, uh, yeah. But it's such a shame, and 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 now you October the twenty second. There's an international break to come very soon, which is gonna like break the momentum a bit if if they gather momentum, the three of them. But they look very promising, that's for sure. Uh, Dicko, are you are you on board with this? You, you, you is this the Arsenal Renaissance? Top four, uh, here we come. I, I think making guarantees on Arsenal is um is, is that, <laughs> that's, that's the def- definition of insanity, isn't it? Um, no, I, I look. I thought Sanchez was electric, just absolute joy to watch, just a nightmare for everything yesterday, um, and good to see Ozil run around a bit. And no, I, I, you know, the bright, but you will not get me forecasting anything with certainty on Arsenal. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Delighted to be joined now by uh, on the line by Matthew uh, Syed, who's uh, uh, who's obviously written closely about the uh, Samson Aluko uh, FA stuff over the years. I had a column which I personally disagreed with uh, a while back. We engaged in a bit of debate on some of the aspects of it, but this is kind of spun into something much bigger to do with uh, with issues of, of governance, um, to do with with issues of of, of procedure. Um, Dicko, I'm going to start with you. For those people who aren't FA nerds like like Ziegler or don't have particularly have a uh, an interest in this thing, can you just quickly sum up what happened last week? Why it ended up in, in the company of Damian Collins? Why members of Parliament are getting involved in this? And uh, and, and quickly tee us off that way. Not easy to sum this story up. There's so many bits to it, but effectively, it ends up in Parliament because um, it took three inquiries to try and get to the bottom of why uh, any Aluko, um, who's been capped more than 100 times for the England women's team, she made various uh, complaints um, against, uh, well, against Mark Sampson, the coach, um, relating to a couple of what she regarded as discriminatory remarks. She also felt she'd been bullied out of the team. The bullying bit was not upheld. Uh, A couple of racist um, remarks were and but this inquiry was partly about that but partly about the fa's handling of it which um well has been variously described as as inept and, and worse um there was an internal inquiry by basically led 
by Dan Ashworth, which turned out to be hugely conflicted because he both oversaw the inquiry and contributed to it, um, which, um, yeah, I don't think fulfills anyone's idea of, of, of good practice. Then there was an inquiry by uh, a leading barrister, which turned out to not have actually either seen all the evidence or interviews or the necessary witnesses. So she then had to do a third inquiry, plus issues of why any Luca was paid 80000 why some of that payment was withheld. Was it true that when she met Martin Glenn, the FA chief executive, he basically asked her to give the uh, the FA a rubber stamp of, of being clean of institutional racism to get all her money? There are so many... Uh, controversies within this about Samson's behavior, about why Samson was sacked, about whether racism was involved, about why Luco was bombed out of the England team by Samson, about whether there was covering up by the FA. So all in all, um, as FA crises go, this, this had a bit of everything. Now, one thing we should mention for those who are keeping score at home, what Dicko did not say is that um, this Mark Samson is no longer the England women's coach. And the reason he's no longer there has nothing to do with Enio Luco. He's no longer there because in his previous job, he had sex with one of his players who was a teenager, although of age and entirely legal. But the FA found that after first having a safeguarding committee say that everything's fine, entirely normal, uh, then later after Martin Glenn uh, took over, he decided to at some point review Samson's file after months of rumors and stuff like that. And he looked at it and says, oh, this is actually kind of what the term he used was was inappropriate and unprofessional, although not illegal what Samson did. And as a result, Samson is gone and is out of the picture for now, unless he decides to find a lawyer who will allow him to sue the FA for God knows what reason. And, and obviously that raised questions about whether the FA were getting rid of him as a sort of convenience as the Aluko thing blew up, um, whether it's right to sort of effectively clear a guy um, over over you know, professional mistakes and then actually sack him for him later, and especially when it wasn't even under FA auspices. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty much, um, if you were dreaming up a, a um, crap storm, um, this seems to have a bit of a bit of everything in it. Matthew, throwing in Gab on the on the safeguarding. I mean, Dicko summed both of them up brilliantly. Uh, on the safeguarding, as I understand it, this is certainly the side that Samson has put forward. This is somebody who was uh, over the age of eighteen. It was a six-month relationship, which was in the open, and despite the coverage. The player in question, I mean, part of the conflict was how can you have a relationship, um, a romantic relationship with somebody uh, who might be in line to be selected? But this person wasn't somebody who was in line to be selected for the first team, which was one that Samson was coaching. Uh, So he feels that, that on the safeguarding, the FA sacked him, not because of that issue, but because... Uh, the heat had got so intense over the racism scandal that they dug up an old report over which he had been exonerated over, I think, a year-long safeguarding unit inquiry. And therefore, this was... I think I think this will end up in the Employment Tribunal for unfair dismissal. I want to throw this out to all of you, but my impression is that... So we've had three distinct inquiries. I've read the report uh, upon, on your suggestion, Matthew. It seems to me so much of this is he said, she said stuff where 
you're asking somebody, uh, the barrister in this case, to go and make a determination based on the, the balance of probabilities. And then after it happens, we kind of said, oh, look, but she determined this. She determined that. She's not omniscient. She's dealing with evidence. It's not a court of law. And there were major procedural flaws, I think, in, in certainly in the first two inquiries, possibly. <laughs> Who knows what we'll find out with the third one. Should we maybe take a step back and start thinking a little bit less like lawyers and start thinking a little bit more like, you know, what is how is an organization properly run and is this it? The point that I was making in, in the two columns that I've written on this subject, or possibly three, what I felt very strongly, I, I had actually read the first Confidential Newton report with all of the first-person confidential testimony of both black and mixed-race players, all of whom unanimously said that they'd never, ever seen any evidence of racism. Three people who weren't interviewed, Eluco refused to cooperate, uh, Sanderson refused to cooperate, and Spence, Catherine Newton, the lawyer, wasn't able to interview because she felt that Eluco had wanted her anonymity to be protected. But she found overwhelmingly even in the second report, after interviewing the relevant witnesses, that Samson is not a racist, and she underlined the word not, the only time she used emphasis in the report. Uh, she also found that all of the allegations bar two were false. Like, for example, she'd been dropped on grounds of discrimination. Other types of terminology had been used unfairly. The, the two that were found, uh, the two particular comments that he said, uh, he said, she said, I think you've read the report, Gab, and you'll have seen that Drew Spence didn't feel the comment was discriminatory. Uh, I don't think that necessarily means that it wasn't discriminatory. Newton found that it was, um, but didn't want to pursue it. Uh, and in the other comment, it, it's word against word. Samson denies saying it. But she did say that it's not, I mean, it was overwhelmingly clear from the report that he didn't deserve to be sacked. And what amazes me about this whole incident is that she finds there's no pattern of bullying, no pattern of racism. He's not a racist. He shouldn't be sacked. My columns were arguing, I hope with you know, some level of objectivity as somebody who's suffered racism over many years, that the evisceration of his character on the basis of these allegations was unfair. And yet he is now out of a job. I mean, I know it's, it's to do with safeguard, and we've gone into that. He's struggling to pay his mortgage. It seems to me deeply unjust. Um, and I say that whilst believing absolutely in the sincerity of what Eluco said, thinking that she was an inspirational witness at the select committee hearing. But I do worry deeply that we're going to have a tidal wave of scandals coming down the line in football and beyond of particular remarks made by coaches that out of context sound discriminatory and perhaps even evidence of being a racist. And we, we're going to have, I mean, Dicko described it as a crap storm. Sport is about to be engulfed, in my view. Well, so, Matthew, if following on from what you say, if you have two people who have very genuinely held beliefs, you, you, you get a third party in to go and try to determine the truth. But, you know, frankly, and let's be clear on this, the barrister who, who came and looked at this interviewed a bunch of people. But there's a reason why in real trials, which, by the way, are also imperfect, uh, yeah. you have a lot more resource than just one yeah. person sitting yeah. there taking notes and, and interviewing yeah. people, right? My sort of problem is kind of feel like both sides have said taking like whatever as Catherine Newton says is gospel. But, you know, I think she'd be the first yeah. where she here. Her, her information is very limited. What can the FA do? And, and then maybe, Dicko, if you can weigh in as, as well, what can they do to kind of run these processes better? Is there a way to do that? Is there a way to get 
better governance out of this rather than than the freak show we we, we saw the other day. And I add to this one obvious thing would be maybe Dan Ashworth not setting up uh, an inquiry and then testifying in it as well. If another complaint like this comes in, I suspect the first thing that will happen now within the FA, and I, I think we'd probably say, well, probably quite rightly, um, given what, what went wrong, is that it will be referred perhaps to an independent body within you know seconds of that complaint coming in. I, I think the FA will realise now that if you're going to do it internally, you've certainly got to... Um, do it far more professionally than just allowing Ashworth to, to oversee it. But uh, yeah, I suspect there will be a sort of instant panic stations or, well, panic or instant red alert and and a realisation that there's got to be better independent oversight. Um, but I mean, that was interesting. There was a sort of five minutes in the hearing um, I went to at DCMS where the head of HR at the FA talked about the fact that there's no whistleblowing process for players that when she started at the FA, you know, there's no grievance procedure. You know, there's one if you're the, you know, um, uh, working in the marketing department, but not one if you're a player. And this, this sort of goes on to the whole issue of what we've seen across Olympic disciplines at the moment, uh, you know, the broader argument about, you know, complaints. And Matthew just alluded to it about, you know, complaints from sportsmen, sportswomen, uh, if they, feel like a coach has sort of given them a hard time there's 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 a hugely delicate balance to be struck here between you know allowing sport to function which does occasionally you know the nature of driving people to extremes features extreme behavior um but there's a hugely delicate line to be drawn between that and legitimate complaints of bullying discriminatory language and it's 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 fraught i i i think better you know the fa are talking about putting a whistleblowing process in place that sounds like a good thing but making that process work in the world of sport is is far more complicated and isn't just solved by you know saying here's a process you know let's follow that process i, I agree with all of that and, and I, I just saw one additional thing so, so just to separate them out there's the whistleblowing about discriminatory racist behavior and on the other hand coaches who are pushing the boundaries too far when it comes to criticism that doesn't target a minority group. Do you see the distinction I'm making? Um, on, on both of them, I think there's a real problem for sport. And you see this to an extent in the first Newton report, which is that there were more complaints about discrimination and bullying against Hope Powell than ever arose against Samson. And anyone who's ever played in the sports team will know that this happens all the time. Anyone who's dropped feels that it's a personal vendetta. And this is a basic psychological response. I mean, we're journalists. How often have we said that the, edit, the editor of the paper, they obviously don't rate me high enough. They don't realize how great I am because we're not getting in the paper. There's not enough space for us. That happens all the time. It's the most common conversation I have with sports journalists. And this happens in sport all the time. If every single time somebody says, there's a pattern here, I wasn't selected twice, and I'm good enough to play relative to that person, given the inherent subjectivity involved in sport, they don't have the resources to have independent inquiries into every allegation. And believe me, I think there are a lot of allegations of that kind that don't involve a, a, a discriminatory remark targeting an ethnic minority. It might be a white person who's been left out. Um, and I think that could be a problem. I was struck by some of the really silly things. Uh, Greg Clark, who incidentally, as we discovered is, uh, from his Wikipedia page, is also chairman of the Met Office. I don't know if he's never been questioned, 
But that thing I saw where he's being asked questions and all of a sudden he says like, oh, you know, I need to take some time to go and rail against Gordon Taylor. And do you know how much money Gordon Taylor, who's the head of the Professional Football Association, makes? I'm thinking to myself, man, this is just stupid. I don't have a problem with you getting vehement, defending your position, defending your organization. But but but, but to go and, and borrow a line out of a Charlie Sale column? I mean, what the hell? I, I, I don't understand. How did this guy get where he is in life? Did he just lose his cool that day? Did he not take his meds? What was it? Let me just throw this into the mix. That, that when you're in a select committee, you know, it's quite rare for business leaders to be grilled in public. The FA has a level of scrutiny that, for example, the head... Of, I mean, I guess very few of us would know the chief executive of Goldman Sachs in Europe. I mean, I happen to watch the chief executive of Goldman Sachs in Europe give testimony to the select committee. And... It is quite difficult because they're not necessarily trained in, in doing that. And the, the level of scrutiny that surrounds the head of the FA is of a quite different kind to, to any other corporate institution. So I wouldn't read, you know, politicians have so much time to learn how to deal with that kind of questioning in public, very uh, adversarial questioning. Chief executives often have people within their company who agree with everything they say. I mean, that's one of the problems in big corporations, that you don't get enough challenge from people who are beneath you in the organization. So I'm not that surprised that they're not as effective as performers. I am surprised. I mean, what Dicko said, the big flaw with the first internal inquiry, they didn't have any rigorous uh, whistleblowing procedures, but Ashworth both being the judge of the investigation and a key witness providing testimony to it, that's obviously flawed. For what it's worth, that has happened a lot in organizations over the years for precisely the cost implication of having an independent come in to, to do it. I think, I mean, the fact is Glenn and Greg Clark were seen as as actually a, a grade on a, an awful lot of regimes that have gone before, um, and they've got a well a lot of work now to 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 get back to that that level of of trust uh, and belief from a lot of people. I, I think you know there's there's a, a, an awful lot that they've they've mishandled. I think that you know from a, a PR point of view, I thought they they I know what Matthew says about it's not easy coming under that kind of of scrutiny but yeah martin glenn just sort of sat there in a in a foul mood giving sort of inch by grudging inch greg clark as you say was sort of sounding off trying to say well um however bad i am i'm not as bad as gordon taylor which you know is, is an argument but probably not one to be aired um live on a dcms committee so i you know i think the shame from most of us really summing up is that we you know we've been through fa turmoil after turmoil these guys seem better and, and through a lot of self-inflicted mistakes have ended up you know back in the crap and and you know i i just think for the sake of english football um we're never going to be without fa crises but um self-inflicted ones are, 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 are pretty hard to forgive matthew syed thank you so much i think this is going to run a while longer there has been a managerial change in the uh, premier league and uh, we don't have much time to talk about it uh so I'll just come out and say Craig Shakespeare, Shaky, is uh, no longer in charge at Leicester City. Um, I think Michael Appleton, who, of course, was a former Manchester United player before he suffered a bad injury for a while, was a, a flavor of the month, rising manager. Uh, then he went back down to the Visions. Then he took over Oxford. Then he spent a lot of time in the gym and got extremely muscular. Um, 
I don't know where it's going to end up. Uh, Dicko, any sense? Are they going to appoint a permanent manager? Or is, is the permanent manager's name Michael? Appleton? Well, he might buy him some time at this rate, mightn't he? It's, um, he's, I, I have to say, I remember interviewing him way back at uh, Portsmouth, and he's, uh, he's a really impressive guy to talk to. Um, had some really uh, clear ideas about how he wanted to, well, develop his football and develop his career. And um, yeah, he's, he's. I, I would love him to um, have a chance to, to, to show what he can do. He, he's had a couple of slight career missteps, but um, you know, he's a well, you see to anyone, and he's regarded as a, one of the sort of upcoming bright things of English coaching. Julian Shakey had been at the club for a long, long time. Um, obviously, he stuck. He replaced Claudio Ranieri last season. When you sack somebody like that, I mean, the results weren't good, but they weren't atrocious either. And it's mid-October. Does it mean that once again you've totally screwed up because if you thought he was the wrong guy, you should have realized it in the summer? Yeah, you, you have to question the planning. And Didn't they give him a new contract in the summer as well, a three-year deal? So you end the season well. You say, okay, you're, you are permanent now. We give you that big contract, bigger contract. You assume with a pay rise because before he must have had the salary of an assistant. Then he became the number one, so you give him the salary of a number one. And then two and a half months later, you think, oh, actually, you know what? we in the bottom three or just above. It's not looking great. The team is not playing that well. Sometimes it looks like you're not really sure what you're doing, to be fair. And, well, maybe we need a bigger name and something, which, again, you know, they they have to be careful, though, because they, they, they got hugely lucky. I think, you know, I hope they know that by winning that title because Leicester, in fairness, and no offence to their fans or the club and anything, is a club between... 15 yeah, I and, think they're well aware of that. I think people have talked about so that. So what, what do you expect then? If it, you're 16th with Shaky, what you think that if you appoint Gab Marcotti you're going to be fifth or if you probably. if you appoint Carlo Ancelotti you're going to win the league again. Like yeah. you know. So All right, well look, uh, you know I know a man who can give us these answers. His name is Top. Uh that's not his real name, that's his nickname. Um uh, he so I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I have trouble even, uh, <laughs> I, I, although I can spell it uh, after writing a Claudio Ranieri book about that. But um, if you're listening, top, drop me a line. We'll gladly have you on the uh, on the podcast one of these weeks, and you can explain what you were thinking this summer. Time now for some quick hits. Manchester City consolidate their hold on the top of the table by rolling over Burnley 3-0 as Sergio Aguero tied Eric Brooks' club goal-scoring record, uh, and he did it in 231 fewer games. And by the way, if I may say, actually, Eric Brooks' club goal-scoring record is actually zero. So Sergio Aguero actually beat his record the first time he scored in the Premier League because there was no football before 1992. Anyway, Dicko, numbers don't lie, but how many better goal scorers can you name in the Premier League era? Oh, well, we are talking about this a bit before with, with Kane, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, if you were picking your Premier League 11, Alan Shearer would have to be up there. I, say, I remember the time watching him at Blackburn where it just felt like every time he got the ball... He's going to shoot. He's going to score. Thierry Henry. That's Thierry, true. Thierry Henry scored probably some of the most beautiful goals I've seen in the Premier League era. Um, but Aguero, I would say, has been possibly one of probably the, the one player of uh, that Real Madrid or Barcelona in the last five years would have just gone. We'll take him. We'll, you know, out of the out of our league. So he's um, he's in your he's, top three. He is with Sheer and Thierry Henry. Good company to keep. 
West Ham gets spanked 3-0 by Brighton. Julian, simple question. If you were one of the unholy trinity, would you sack Slaven Bilic? Not just yet. I'll give him until the, until the international break, see if he can sort something out with you know the team and the squad he has. And then if by then he can't, then, then I'll, have to, I'll have to sack him. Things get very nervy for Chelsea against Watford as they have to come from uh, behind uh, to win 4-2. They go, this could have gone much worse. How bad is Antonio Conte's wobble? I don't think that bad. I mean, I think we always expected there was going to be a, a bit of a downturn simply just because last year they didn't have Europe. You know, he used last season with the space to drill his team so that they were you know, this extraordinary efficient team. They, they had the fitness to go with it. And now that resources are being stretched, then Murata's injury obviously has stretched it even further. So... I, you know, I don't mean there's a there's a there's a crisis. There's a, a, a wobble that we all anticipated. Well, they have the batsman though yeah. to to bail them out. Um, Sofiane Buffal comes on for Southampton, and as we've seen, scores a peach of a goal as the Saints beat West Brom. Um, Julian, it looked to me like it was a bit of an angry strike, and maybe had a bit of a point to make to Mr. Pellegrino. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's clearly a manager who doesn't trust Sofiane Buffal and and too skillful, right? Too, probably too good, too skillful, too good on the ball, and I only started him once this season, which is incredible. And, and I'm glad Sofian proved him wrong on that occasion. Just, you know, only a few minutes after he came on in the 81st minute, I think it was, scoring that amazing goals to show him all the potential he has. Just use it, just use that potential. I think he's so talented, he makes his teammates insecure. <laughs> Manchester United lose at Huddersfield, and Jose Mourinho gives his players both barrels. Um, Dicko, I won't ask you if he was justified, because he was. They were terrible. What do you make of this kind of white flag speech, and how do you think the players are going to take it? I think occasionally a manager just feels he needs to give him a blast. Um, it's not the first time Mourinho's done it. Fergie used to do it a few times, and... Um, didn't work too badly for him. They looked flat. They looked, you know, you could say that's part of the manager's responsibility as well to get his team in the right sort of headspace um, for a game. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I don't think we're looking at um, sort of you know, a Mourinho-style um, meltdown yet. Julian, uh, you get to show Huddersfield some love. Is David Wagner the best German manager in the Premier League? Well, he was at the weekend for sure. I think he had everything spot on, his tactics, the plan to make the game ugly for United because he knew they couldn't play him, you know, play them out of the park, to move to move more, you're a bit higher on the pitch as well, perfect. And guess guess where they go next weekend? Huddersfield to Liverpool. So Klopp and his base mate Wagner against each other. That's gonna be cool. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I- I wonder if Klopp's going to pull something clever, like like, like send that, that, that mini Klopp weirdo out there and just instead watch it up from up in the stands the way Sam Allardyce used to do. Yes, yes. That's, that's an idea. There's, there's lots of things you can yes. do to mess with David's head. I got one for you, or actually maybe one for me. Uh, Mbappe substituted, Neymar sent off, PSG held at Marseille. What happened last night in the Classic? Well, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Well, no, no. I, I want to have your I, opinion as well. I had Marseille... Uh, Lazio and Real Madrid on at the same time and then when I saw that Ciro Immobile was going to re-establish himself as the most prolific goal scorer in the universe uh, and that you know Real Madrid were on their Cruising, way against yeah. Abar, um, I got pretty enthralled in this and I think I, I thought PSG could run into trouble because I thought they were actually terrible in midweek um, I don't think there's been a 4-0 win that was less impressive mm-hmm. um, 
And, you know, Marseille, I thought they were going to be spiky and what. And Danny Alves saying he didn't know any of the Marseille players, which is such a stupid thing to say. Even if it's true, Danny, don't say it. You should know better. Um, Like, Obscure players like Dimitri Payet, yeah. The Luis Euros. Gustavo, who Who's played that? with him for Brazil. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that's my favorite part. <laughs> but I thought PSG, PSG played well. I thought I thought they, they, they should have won this game. I mean, not great, but they played relatively well in tough circumstances. And and a beautiful free kick from, from Cavani at the end, which he was allowed to take because there was no Neymar on the pitch. Yeah, and I, I did think PSG were complacent and the whole body language and, and language full stop before the game of like, oh, you know, it's a game like, like all the others and everything that they gave was was poor I think uh, and then like Mbappé said after the game last night on French television you know we were not ready for it like such a big occasion and we went on maybe we took the game too too lightly which I think they did and it's a shame Hi there and welcome to the Sweepers recap of the Premier League action this weekend. My name is Charlie Scott and I'm joined by Paddy Bombay. Hello everyone. And of course we're the Times' fancy football tips service. Yeah, not the most amazing tip sweep for us, but we backed Harry Kane big, didn't yes. we Paddy? Yeah, well Harry Kane, as, uh, as, as you would have read if you read Friday's email, uh, we told you whatever doubts you may have, do stick with him because uh, the points will come uh, and they'll come in. Big chunks, um, and you know, tr- true to form, he he led the league this weekend. Sixteen points he got um, as Spurs uh, really embarrassed Liverpool on Sunday, um, and uh, and there's certainly more to come of that. One would suspect, so um, stick with him for as long as possible, and, uh, and and you're in the money. Yeah, elsewhere, as you said, it was a slightly strange week. Um, after Kane, it was uh, there were four players on 13 points: Nicholas Otamendi, Mesut Özil, Junior Stanislas, and of course Glenn Murray's heroics on Friday night. Um, so if you owned any of those, well done. Um, Elsewhere, Alexis Sanchez sort of returned to form finally after his summer of struggles with 12 points. And Riyad Mahrez with 10 points for Leicester, who, of course, a couple of seasons ago was unstoppable. So worth keeping an eye on those two um, in the coming weeks uh, and uh, pop them on your watch list. And, of course, there was the usual Man City pep roulette, uh, Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus, who have been so brilliant in recent weeks, suddenly found themselves on the bench. Uh, Guardiola traditionally keeps us all guessing in the... That's surely set to continue going forward. We thought that some of you might worry about Tottenham's run with Liverpool, United and Arsenal coming up. But that's 57 shots for the season with Kane now, which is 23 more than anyone else. And Spurs have well and truly put their Wembley ways behind them. They needed 90 shots to score their first three league goals there, but just eight shots for the final three against Liverpool, which is remarkable. And just looking a bit further ahead, Newcastle. They've flown under the radar a bit. They've won four and drawn two of their past seven. And in Jamal Lascelles, they're one of only two outfield players who cost under five million, who's got 40 points or more this season. Yeah, that's certainly one to um, to keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of our mini league update, of course, if you sign up for the sweeper at uh, thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football, you can join our mini league uh, as Matthew Barrick has, who is uh, his team are actually number two ranked in the entire world. Um, so there's a man with a big target on his back. So if you want to join the league uh, and start chasing him down, then, uh, <laughs> then sign up and, uh, and, and join us in the hunt. How many points is he on? Uh, it's a very good question. I'm not sure. I think I saw he was averaging about 65 a game week, um, or yeah, possibly that's... even more. So um, he sets a fair standard. That's quite intimidating. But yeah, come and have a go if you think you're good enough. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, Matt Dickinson, Matthew Syed. You guys are calling for him on Twitter, and there he was. Julian Lawrence and Paul Joyce. Joycey. Remember, it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. Uh, just search the Times online. You'll get access to our newspaper. Not just our paper, but, but the Sunday Times as well, and there's some good stuff in there. Uh, this season, you can access highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup from the third round as well. We're going to be back next Monday when, I have a feeling, we'll be talking some Poch and some Mourinho. Manchester United against Tottenham Hotspur. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.